TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Stories of that game and what happened in the clubhouse is just fantastic. There's no game that can bleep you like this one. <laughs> it's Roycey on baseball. Let's go here. Ricey and Manny Hill here, Ricey on Baseball. Uh, we'll be talking to Buster only later, and uh, we've talked to Mark Topkin from Tampa Bay, and uh, we talked to him a while back and uh, yeah, on Monday, and it's great. You want to listen in to the topper. It's, uh, it's uh, terrific, and Buster will be terrific uh, also. Anyhow, everybody sort of goes back to 2001 with this team, Manny, right? Because yep. Most of you were not alive when the per, when the other comparison leaps up at me. Nineteen seventy seven. Yep. Nineteen seventy seven. That team was a run scoring machine. Mm-hmm. It wasn't by hitting home runs, but it was. They had Rodney Carew, the best player on the planet for that season. They had uh, Lyman Bostock. They had Larry Heisel. They had a bunch of guys they platooned with. And I don't want to sound the alarm. <laughs> you don't want to but, sound the Judd alarm. Right? But on June 26th, as we talked about last week, they had the great brawl with the Mighty Whiteys. Uh, and they beat them 19-12. to 12, And Rodney went up to 403 that day. Got to 406 at one point mm-hmm. that day. Uh, 40-some thousand. Gorgeous day. And uh, full house at Met Stadium. I think their biggest regular season crowd maybe ever. At Med Stadium. Then they went on the road. And they ended up down in Chicago on the 4th of July weekend. Oh, boy. Before the 4th of July weekend. I see where you're going with this. And they went in there in first place. uh, Lost four straight. Friday, two, I think, on Saturday and one on Sunday. There was a traditional doubleheader. No, I guess it was one, one, and then two. Because uh, Bill Veck was the owner, mm-hmm. and he loved Sunny Doubleheaders. That was he gave the people what they wanted, and of course back then a game took two and a half hours. But uh, they went down there, got beat four straight, and uh, it was a brawl. I mean, it was a crazy atmosphere. Now certainly, <laughs> there's not as much excitement for the Mighty Whiteys now as there was. Back then, they're they're the poor orphans of of uh, Chicago mm-hmm. compared to the Cubs, and have been hell. They they won the World Series. They might have been slightly more popular than the Cubs, but just barely. <laughs> yeah, just anyway, for that day in October when they. All won. I'm saying here is Tampa's in town. Mm-hmm. Pretty good team. Yeah, they've struggled a little late lately. But they can pitch. Pretty good town. They can pitch, and they got Blake Snell uh, coming out tonight. And they, uh, you know, and then then the Twins go to Chicago. And the Whiteys have been a little better. And it's their last stand. And it's right before the 4th of July. <laughs> I don't know. I, I get the vibe. I, I, I'm sensing there are parallels is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying that team that can hit like crazy. Uh, now, I don't think we'll see the same level of panic from uh, – uh, manager Baldelli as we did in Chicago where I think uh, Gene Mock in 77 tried to get 
six and a third out of Tommy Johnson to win one of those games, the closer. Oh, boy. He brought him in and with a lead in the third or fourth inning. Oh, boy. And basically, I think it was the third inning when they had a lead. <laughs> and you talk about a guy who didn't trust his bullpen. <laughs> uh, he had Tommy Johnson and Tom Bergmeier because Soupy Campbell had left after mm. 76, one of the first free agents in baseball. Yep. And uh, so he didn't have much out there. He liked Bergie. As a lefty, and he liked, uh, you know, he obviously loved Tommy Johnson. But by the by the middle of August, Tommy couldn't get out of, you know, yeah. couldn't get out of bed in the morning. His arm, his shoulder was shot. He ended up not even pitching long enough to get his pension back then. He, oh, wow. They basically, my guy Gene, I loved him, but he treated relief pitchers like refuse and uh and and uh and tommy basically was done after that season anyhow uh look out for the mighty whiteys cleveland now seven and a half out they've won nine out of eleven and uh as you pointed out they have uh the next eight are with kansas city and baltimore Mm -hmm. and kansas city will be plucky Baltimore will just Baltimore's, let you come they, in. And, I mean, they'll just let you come in and kick the crap out of them. <laughs> yeah. they, uh, they're fine with that. So, uh, anyhow, I said, how long ago did I say, Manny, don't worry about the October matchups. Mm-hmm. Worry about October, okay? Worry about getting you're, to you're, October. You're 11 and a half. 11, I think 11 and a half was the highest they were, right? Eleven and a half or twelve, maybe, 12, maybe. May, maybe twelve. When they were ahead, probably eleven and a half. Now, if you were four ahead, and you were at seven and a half, you'd feel like kings of the world. Mm-hmm. Now you're, but you've lost four or four and a half games off your lead. Yeah, that's when things start to pucker. And up. and you know what, Pat? If you look at the next handful of games for both of these teams, for the Twins and the Indians, mm-hmm. if let's say six games, I told this to Danny Cunningham this morning on Cluster Fun, if you get the Indians to go five and one in the mm-hmm. next six games, yep. and if the Twins go three and three in two the next six games, that's yeah. or two and four, something yeah. like that. All of a sudden, seven and a half becomes five and a half or four and a half. I Twins tweet- got to be careful. Here. I tweeted out a response to somebody last month who was all worked up about, you know, what you have to be concentrating on now is who you're going to have to pitch against the Yankees and the Astros in the uh, mm-hmm. in October. And I said, maybe when the lead is four and a half at the All-Star break, we can stop worrying about October, okay? <laughs> uh, and then, of course, I was told, you know, what a crazy idiot I was. The lead will be 15 at uh, the All-Star break. We'll see. I'm not wishing the Twins any bad ill, but if the lead was four and a half at the All-Star break, I might bring that tweet back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And accept congratulations. Well, and it's es- baseball. Especially, Pat, when we have seen in Major League Baseball, we've seen bigger leads in divisions be blown. Yes. La- that Those leads were later in the season. We've yes. seen double-digit leads in divisions that were held in August and early September dwindle away. Now, here's the other thing. If things, as I've said a hundred times, if things are good, too good to be, seem like they're too good to be true, they, they are. usually are. <laughs> and uh, Jake Odorizzi, okay, see what, you know, Jake just had his first clunker in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gibby, 
had a clunker last time after pitching pretty good. Yep. Uh, he started a poorly. He had a nice little 10-game stretch with two or three really good games. He was terrible last time out. Couldn't uh, throw strikes. Martin Perez and really Martin hasn't been Perez good in weeks. pitching in this series against Tampa, and he's now four straight horrible. So, uh, yeah. it's uh, And you're not going to score six runs a game. We've talked about that. You're mm-hmm. not going to keep scoring six or seven runs a game. It's uh, somebody's going to uh, really cool off for you. And and uh, you know now the one thing I'll say uh, uh, hitting wise, and he had a decent weekend, but we have not even with the big numbers, we haven't seen the best of Eddie Rosario for a month yeah. or five weeks. So uh, you know maybe if some of these other guys cool off, he'll take off because we also and there's also the Twins have. Louis, arise. arise if yeah. we can only get him enough at bats, arise. he'll be the batting champion. He's arise. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's been pretty good. He might be, uh, you know, when, when we get a couple of guys, when they get a couple of guys off the off the IL mm-hmm. or the DL, I still like to call it yeah. the DL, you know, they're going to have to make a decision between yeah. him and, and uh, our guy Willie. Scope Probably. is uh, starting to get banged up and is really cooled off, and uh, it, it will be interesting, yeah. Yeah, they'll keep Adrianza, so uh, you yep. know I don't think they'll let Arise be their uh, infielder. But anyway, it's going to be an interesting summer. I, I'm not advising panic. I'm just advising, hey, there's going to be some drama before this thing's over, okay? Yeah. It's summer. It's baseball. It lasts forever. It lasts forever. And, uh, you know, let's see, let's see what happens when they go down there and play those. Uh, better than we think, mighty whiteys. This division is not as rotten as everybody thinks because there's now that Cleveland's found some footing, and the White Sox aren't bad. There's there's two other decent teams in the division. Yeah, the, you got two bad teams in the division: Detroit and Kansas City, yeah. and then everybody else is at bare minimum at least formidable. That you know you got to think about. I don't think our guy Gardy's going to make her to you. Six I, ejections. Got ejected again the other day. I, I expect to see him when I see him again. I'm hoping not, but I expect him to see him 20 pounds heavier with a red face. I, know, I hope he stays. I hope he stays healthy because they are horrible. Pat, I am as big a Guardy fan as anybody, and I am. You know, I'm rooting for him. I want oh. him to do well because I love Guardy. But when he took that job, I was thinking, man, Guardy, what are you doing? No, because that's, uh, that's, that's a mess. He has there, a history man. of. Drinking and eating his frustrations. I got the drinking part taken care of, but I can handle the eat. I know about the eating part, and yeah. uh, I'm a little worried about him because that team is terrible. They're going to end up losing more games than they did last year, and they were yeah. hoping to. They were hoping to show some improvement. All right, hey, we'll be back with Buster Oldie and then the great Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times. Planning for a secure future requires sound investment advice. That's why I rely on my guy, Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, for guidance in planning and maintaining a long-term financial strategy. This is Ricey, and I've known Josh for many years. I trust Josh and recommend him because he listens and delivers the kind of service that you'll need to feel confident about your financial future. I encourage you to get to know him the same way I did many years ago. Call Josh Arnold at 952 952- 
952-965-5608 and set up your 48-minute no-obligation consultation. Call 952-925-5608. You'll always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Call Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold at 952-925-5608. Investment advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. Buster Olney is with us. Uh, your old pal Terry Francona is not going to make the Twins nervous here before this is over, is he? They've won nine out of 11. They got the next eight with Kansas City and Baltimore, and it's down to seven and a half. And they're tinkering, right? They're yes. trying different things, yes. uh, trying to upgrade their, their outfit production. Got rid of Leonis Martin the other day and uh, you know, called up a young slugger uh, from the minor leagues. And, and, I, and I think that you probably see them still try to do that, but no, I think in the end, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty big deficit to overcome, as you know. Yeah, now this Bradley kid, is he one of their, I saw that he was a first baseman, had, did some hitting the other day, is he one of their prospects? Yeah, and he's an interesting guy because he certainly hits for power. In AAA this year, 17 doubles, 24 home runs, and like a lot of his brethren, he strikes out a lot. 91 strikeouts in 67 games. And look, I, you know, their feeling is we, they just want to try to find a way to upgrade their offense somehow. So, you know, you could put him at, at, at first base or you put him at DH. Maybe Santana plays a little bit of outfield. You move some other guys around. But uh, I think their feeling is is that they just got to figure out a way to, to upgrade their run production uh, and hope that some of these guys who've been hurt on their pitching staff come back and help out. They put that Mercado kid in center field now, yep. huh? So uh, he, he did a little hitting when he since he's been up. So uh, And Terry is, uh, you know, he's a wily old devil. He's not going to give up. He's not. Now, I do think that the front office, as it goes forward, they're going to make a, a very objective uh, decision, I think, uh, a pure analytical decision about what to do before the trade deadline. I don't I mean, first off, we know this. They don't have much money to spend. If they do uh, take on some players from other teams, I think it's going to be incremental-type stuff to, uh, maybe to, to help out the bullpen. Um, you know, maybe somebody throws them an outfielder and, and uh, the Indians don't have to assume a lot of money. But I think they're going to trade Trevor Bauer before the deadline because they know that they're going to get more value for him if they trade him now rather than wait till the winter. And I, I know for sure that they're going to listen on Brad Hand, their closer, um, it may be that uh, as they sort of crawl back into the thing, that it'll be really tough for them to actually trade him, but they'll at least have those conversations. But Tito, heck no, he's too competitive where he's not going to give up. I was just going to say, Chaska, Minnesota's own Brad Hand would be perfect for the Twins. They got one good lefty, Taylor Rogers. They don't have another lefty in the bullpen. If you had uh, those two lefties uh, with a whole batch of righties, uh, you'd be in pretty good shape because uh, him and Ra- Rogers in hand would be interchangeable. But it, it's not going to be cheap, uh, that's for sure. Plus, they might not want to. They, they're going to have so many places to trade Brad Hand if they want to. They won't have to trade him in the division if they don't want to. It, exactly, and I, and I think in a vacuum, uh, you know, Derek Falvey, Chris Antonetti would not necessarily be averse to trading within the division, generally speaking. Um, which is how most, uh, you know, the, the newest generation of executives feel about those things, because their feeling is, look, if your best deal is with happens to be with a division rival, then make it. Uh, a, you get the best prospect or package that you want, and then you weaken your the other team going forward. 
but I do think that that might be the one exception <laughs> where they know their fan base would go absolutely nuts uh, if they trade Brad Hand in a year in which they're competing for a playoff spot to a division rival. Uh, and you're right about the, the competition. The Dodgers absolutely would love to have Brad Hand. They've talked about him a lot internally. Uh, other contenders, I'm sure, will will take a look at it as well. I do think it probably asking price will be so high that they'll just wind up keeping him because he's under team control for two more years after this year. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, throwing better right now than he did last year when he got there. That's for sure. He's rolling. And by the way, the Dodgers. What is their franchise record since they got to L.A. for wins? Uh, they, whatever it is, they're going to surpass it. That is a hellacious baseball team. It's it's a remarkable team, and uh, you know when I was around them uh, beginning of the year, and then a, a couple weeks ago, it really is. Uh, it, it jumps out at you to have conversations with players uh, about what they want to accomplish this year. You know, they are very serious about taking that next step because they they made it right to the right to the edge of Mount Everest, but not right to the top the last two years. And you know, everyone from Cody Bellinger to Clayton Kershaw to Rich Hill seems to be ready to, to go to the next level. You know, Rich Hill was the one who told me when uh, I saw those guys in Colorado early in the year that when they lost to the Astros in the World Series, the players were upset, but uh, they felt it was a coin flip. But then when they got blown out by the Red Sox last year, they got angry, and, and they have a lot of adjustments. The front office made a big adjustment by getting rid of guys who, in their idea, were sort of wild cards and inconsistent from day to day, you know, mostly uh, Yasiel Puig being the prime example. And so now... <laughs> It does feel like, you know, they would always talk about the Yankees uh, of, of the, you know, a decade ago being this corporate team where they're focused on business every day. That's, that's the feel you have around the Dodgers where they're like, okay, we are going to do absolutely everything we can to, to go to the next step. And that's why I do think before the deadline they're going to wind up being the most aggressive contender in making a, an impact trade for their bullpen. Well, they got rid of Kemp and Puig, and that, that certainly allowed them to play their A-team instead of, you know, more often. But uh, they also, I mean, they don't play these guys uh, 25 games in a row or anything. I'm, I'm thinking that a lot of this rest and recovery uh, concept has uh, started out there in L.A., It's you know, because the Twins are... You know, you can't play seven games a week here. It's I think the most anybody's played is twenty, twenty-one in a row. So that's it's it's the, another new phenomenon of baseball: rest and recovery. Remember when we used to uh, uh, have two guys come to spring training and say, "I want to play every game." That's not happening anymore. No, uh, you know, when, when you talk about unbreakable records, the, the number one I, yes. want, I always come up with is Ripken at twenty-six hundred and thirty-two straight games because no front office would let it even come close to happening i i don't you know i I think it's a long shot if anyone plays uh two straight seasons of of uh you know 162 game schedule look over the weekend uh we were around i was around uh, the angels and i asked brad osmus their manager why has albert Poole's been hitting of late and he goes because he's he's rested more and then and that's the perspective of the front office and i do think that sometimes the dodgers overdo it uh for example in the world series uh pinch hitting for david freeze in big spots, yes, uh, where you feel like, wait a second, David Freeze, one of the great postseason hitters of all time, and you're going to pull him out of the game. But they they certainly play to their matchups on a day to day basis. And look, I I think the first couple of years that Andrew Friedman's front office was in there, there wasn't complete buy in. But from what I hear, Chase Utley really helped to to foster more buy in from the players. And now they're all in, and they've collected a bunch of players 
who understand their the system that they put in. They may not necessarily agree with every decision made, but they work along with it, and it's really showing in the results. One of the great days in St. Louis baseball history, Albert Homers and the Cardinals win in the <laughs> Bush Stadium. What a uh, reception. I'm wondering, 20 years ago, what have we seen that? Uh, is it a new, uh, you know, is it the people aren't bitter when some guy leaves? Although I think they realize that the, the Cardinals made the decision more than Albert did. Uh, yeah, and I agree with that 100%. I think seven years ago, six years ago, it would have been a different reaction. In fact, uh, my colleague Alex Rodriguez spoke with uh, Alex, uh, with uh, with Albert on Sunday afternoon, and Albert said, "I'm so good. I'm so glad this played out the way that it did. Where, you know, he hadn't been back to St. Louis since he left as a free agent because he knows he probably would have been booed if he had gone back. Yes, year that's after, true. Two years after." But instead he goes back, and I mentioned Ripken breaking the record. I was the Oriole beat writer for the Baltimore Sun at the time, um, and that was the best thing I've ever seen in baseball. What I got a chance to see over the weekend in St. Louis was the second best thing. It was really? so <laughs> heartwarming uh, to see uh, you know, the, how everyone handled it, from you know, the Cardinals organization, Bill DeWitt, the, the chairman, coming down to talk to Albert on the first day they were there and, and wish him well, and Mike Schilt, the manager, on Sunday afternoon, texting Albert said, look, if you want to come to the clubhouse and say hi to people, support guys, athletic trainers, feel free. We'd love to have you here. And he was in there when we went in for our meeting with Schilt beforehand. To, how about Yadier Molina? Yeah, uh, right. You know, the way he was an ambassador for Albert over the weekend and, and standing out in front of uh, home plate and giving Albert before every one of his plate appearances a chance to, to get a standing ovation, that, that now becomes part of his legacy. And, uh, and Albert was so touched by the whole thing and he was so moved by it mike trout told me on sunday that when albert hit that home run he got back to dugout and he gave trout a hug he goes he almost broke me he was so <laughs> excited. Um, and it, it was really cool uh and <clears throat> i i do hope that becomes the standard it certainly it was appropriate given how great albert was for the team well the twins played down there i think it might have been albert's last year or, or near the end and uh my son and i just went down there to watch uh, a, a weekend as a kind of a weekend trip to sat in the stands and i have never seen such a majority of jerseys in my life albert was running at about 97 percent of the jerseys uh, before he left there it was incredible and I tell you what, one of the cool things, uh, you know, in the, in the video that we'll always remember from the weekend was his home run and Molina standing out in front of home plate. But I got to see so much on Saturday and Sunday of how before games, Albert would come out of the, the Angels dugout and there would be fans on the side that would be holding up signs and Albert would recognize them and say, oh, yeah, that's right. Or, you know, the, one of the security guards. And he'd come out and, you know, shake their hand, give them a hug. Uh, sign things and, and pick up conversations that were left off from eight years ago. Um, it, it really it was amazing. Mike Schilt, you know, had a had told us great stories about how when Albert uh, was was in the organization and Mike Schilt was a you know lowly, lowly minor league instructor. How uh, amazing Albert was in terms of embracing you know work with a young first baseman minor leaguer like a Matt Adams or. Uh, you know, turning to Schilt when he was hitting him fungos. Hey, let's go. Let's pick it up. We've got to have more. <laughs> uh, he really is so highly regarded within the organization for his work ethic. And so, you know, any of the, you know, the, the disagreement or maybe uh, bad feelings about uh, that occurred during the negotiations, those are gone. And, and in everything that happened over the weekend cements the fact that he's going to have a relationship with the Cardinals moving forward. 
And you and I have seen too many situations where that hasn't been the case, where a great player becomes estranged from the team that he was great for. And uh, don't look now, uh, And uh, as an example of how long a baseball season is, while the Blues were winning the uh, Stanley Cup, the Cardinals were playing pretty lousy, uh, uh, you know, for a long time. And then all of a sudden, all it took is about two weeks. And don't look now, they're about three out, right? <laughs> well, that's life in the National League Central, which seems to be the only division uh, that's really in play in terms of having a, a race. Uh, you know, the other five divisions, I didn't double-check it this morning, but I think it's five-and-a-half games or six-and-a-half games is the lowest uh, you know, separation between the the first and, and second place. There, no, it, it's four and a half games now uh, with the, with the Amer- the uh, National League East. Look, the National League Central should play out that way all year, and I, it's interesting because when you talk to Cubs people, they're all asking, you know, why have we been more consistent? And the Cardinals people are talking about we got to find our identity, <laughs> and and uh, you know, the Brewers. Boy, you know, we're going to have to look for some starting pitching. All five teams in National League Central are looking for answers. Uh, including the Cincinnati Reds, who have really good pitching, and they played well in the last 10 days, and they're going to be getting Scooter Jeanette back and maybe trade for a hitter. That is the only division where I think down the stretch we're going to consider it to be wide open. Yeah, Buster, I'm glad you brought up the the Reds because they are like one of the most fascinating teams to me because they're in last place in the division, technically. They're four games under five hundred. They have a run differential of plus 48, they just swept the Houston Astros last week, and they split. Uh, they split a, a four a set of four with the Brewers over the weekend. I, I, what do you make of this team? I mean, they're like one of the most fascinating teams that is not. Uh, they're one of the most fascinating teams that's not really been talked about a lot this year. Dangerous, a hundred percent dangerous. Uh, you know, going into Sunday's game, they were fourth in the majors in starters ERA, which is not easy to do. When you got starting pitchers working in the bandbox in Cincinnati, but it's a really talented rotation. Uh, they actually thought their offense was going to be a lot better. It's been really consistent. You know, one of my favorite players to watch, Joey Votto, has been more of a problem than he has been a solution so far this year. And if, in fact, you know, Scooter uh, comes back without complication and they do go out and trade for a bat, and you would assume they would because they spent resources in the winter trying to upgrade the team. They could be really interesting because in a short series in September, you know what? They can match up with anybody with that rotation. Hey, Buster, uh, it became a little bit of a, uh, uh, I guess, a trend here in baseball that uh, a, a guy who, uh, a veteran pitcher who was coming off Tommy John, somebody would sign them for a cheap contract and uh, then uh, have him for the next year when he was recovered. The Twins did that with Pineda, and now Rosenthal with Washington was horrible. Do you think that trend is over? Has that worked for anybody yet? Well, uh, Nathan Avaldi. Yes, that's uh, right, who's, I mean, by the way, was, hurt now. But uh, Yeah, exactly. But I will tell you that, uh, you know, teams, generally speaking, when Avaldi got that big contract from the from the Red Sox during the winter, that was a surprise to some teams because they felt like <clears throat> what you were talking about, like that pitchers uh, who've had Tommy John might be predisposed to having that, and they don't want the ticking time bomb. And, um, and look, the best the best example that happened with someone who hadn't had a Tom, who hasn't had a Tommy John surgery, Jordan Hicks of the Cardinals. Yeah. Their closer tears his UCL, um, you know, and, and people all along when he was throwing 100, 203 miles per hour in velocity. In recent years, they were cringing. Yep. Their feeling was, 
Boy, physiologically, the body's not made to throw that hard, so he breaks down and probably confirms a lot of the, the feelings that people have now that, you know, Tommy John surgery is something you really got to try to, try to uh, you know, uh, protect yourself against. Another example, by the way, of someone who had Tommy John surgery and tried to come back and hasn't been the same is Matt Harvey. And yeah, right. He's been terrible. Well, he's he's out. He's out and about now, right? They released him, or is he is he DL'd or what? Yeah, he's on the injured list for the Angels. Okay. Well, the Twins have one of those kids, uh, Bruce Dar. I did a piece on him this spring. Bruce Dar Gratterall, hottest prospect in the system, throws a hundred. He's on the shelf now. So uh, you know, it's. Uh, in fact, when I talked to him. This spring, I said, do they want you to cool her and throw about 97 instead since you're a starter? And he says, only the hitters want me to not throw so hard, which was funny at the time, but now he's now he's on the shelf. So uh, that's, uh, you know. So the Twins vaulted to the top of the uh, Buster Olney informal ratings this week. And uh, meanwhile, we're a little worried. Oda Rizzi just had a bad game. Pineda hasn't been good. And Gibson just had a bad name game. And now the three of them are pitching against Tampa this week. <laughs> Yeah, I got to tell you, I had Jake on the podcast recently, and, and you know this as a reporter. Uh, I, I, I am not at all superstitious, uh, <laughs> but I always root in the back of my mind oh, yes. when I interview them because you, you want their last experience with you to be a positive one and you know, before they play well. Uh, and that's what happened with Jake, but you're, you're right. And I, just, I tend to think when you look at the Twins – that it's an ebb and flow of the season. And look, I mean, they're going to be in the same position that a lot of contenders are. Um, you know, what? how much should they invest in trying to upgrade the team going up to the trade deadline and what resources to give up? I think that probably they'll be able to make some, uh, some good decisions because they do have the decent lead. Uh, and they may be able to make such specific decisions that maybe they can anticipate some matchups in the postseason. For example... If you're going to face the Yankees these days with that huge uh, right-handed lineup, you're probably going to want some right-handers yes. with wipeout stuff. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, those are some of the things that the Twins front office would be able to consider as we get close to the deadline. Uh, Buster, we had the uh, women's PGA here this weekend, and uh, I've covered quite a bit of golf in my life. And on Saturday, I tromped out to uh, write a uh, column on this uh, young lady who was uh, whose sister is a big star. And... Uh, she had a three-foot putt on 18 and missed it for a bogey, which, you know, she was playing pretty well. And I said, I've done this. Every time I come out to see somebody to go to write them, they walk off in a bad mood because they just missed a four-foot putt. So I know what you feel like about <laughs> about Jake writing that. We all root for what we've just written, no matter what we want to tell you. So that's uh, for sure. A hundred percent. You know, Paul O'Neill, when I covered him with the Yankees, he was the most superstitious okay. player that I, I ever knew. And I, to the degree that, you know, I, I would, uh, I, you know, would not tell him numbers like, hey, Paul, you, you got 10 hits in your last 12 at bat. No, tell nope. me about that. Never mention anything like that. <laughs> when I walked up to him once, he goes, Paul, I had a, a number I wanted to tell you about. He goes, Buster, you know I can't stand that stuff. Goes, this, is, this is a record you just broke. And he goes, oh, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Buster. Thanks, guys. All right. The great Buster Olney and uh, Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times coming up. You'll enjoy uh, that interview. Mark Topkin is with us, and it is never dull as the uh, the baseball columnist and writer for the Tampa Bay Tribune when you're the raised drama that's off the field is almost as interesting as on the field. 
Absolutely, and uh, the, la- the latest twist is one I don't know that any of us saw coming, or certainly didn't see coming just yet. But uh, parlez-vous français? Talking <laughs> about splitting their splitting their home games between Tampa Bay and Montreal, and not only that, but they're going to build not just one, not just one, but two two new stadiums to do it. Oh, really? That's part of the plan. I didn't see that's part of the. What are we going to build a little boutique uh, stadium in Tampa? Yeah, they're going to build their their plan, and we'll just go with this as their plan is uh, a new stadium either in either in St. Pete or Tampa. They'd be open to St. Pete now. They say about twenty seven thousand feet open air because they're only okay. going to play here in April and May. Okay, and then uh, turn around and build or build or have the Montreal people build for them a new stadium, maybe thirty thousand seats up there, also open air because they're only going to play there in the summer. Okay, and, uh, and then they come back to Tampa in uh, in October if they're in the no, playoffs. No, they say uh, the, the the current plan and everything everything is you know this has all been you know background yes. whispered yeah. whispered nothing official yet. But the current thinking, at least, is uh, they only move once. They move uh, late May, early June. They move to Montreal uh, and then they play the rest of the schedule there. And then should they be fortunate enough to make the playoffs, uh, their thought again initially is. In the first year they make the playoffs, you know, they pick, 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 <laughs> let's just say Montreal. Then the next time they make the playoffs, whether that's one year later or 20 years later, they play them in St. Pete. And, and they say they're going to sign 25, 30-year leases to do this, and this is a permanent solution. It's not just a, a ploy. It's not a negotiating tactic. It's not a two- or three-year bridge to eventually leave. This is a real deal, well-thought-out, very logical plan to maximize interest by minimizing inventory. All right, Topper. I, I, I see an amazy, an immediate uh, stupidity here among the many stupidities. So we're it's October eighteenth, and we're uh, we're winding down the ALCS, and the Rays are as efficient as they are now. And we're going to play in a blizzard in Montreal instead of seventy eight and sunny in Tampa. Is that is that right? If if it's Montreal's turn. If it's Montreal, here's the coin flip. Now, now I'm, I'm guessing they'll they'll find a, uh, a a politically correct way to say that should they be blessed with the good fortune of being in the postseason, yes. you know MLB could certainly have some influence on that. And, but 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 how about this one? Let, let's take the absurd to even further absurdities. Let's say they're 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 coming down to the last day of the season. They got to win. They got to win to get in, or they lose and they're out. And that game is the last, this game one sixty two, and that's in Montreal, and that's yes. the year to play the playoffs in St. Pete. So they're going to win that game and then have to get on a plane to fly to their <laughs> other home ballpark to open the playoffs the next day when maybe they're playing the Yankees. Who already where where are the Yankees waiting for them? Or the Twins? They're like hovering at the Charlotte airport trying to figure out which way to go. So uh, who did did. Was there any hint that there was some kind of a goofy arrangement like this being worked out? I mean, you you know more about them than anybody. Did uh, they who kept this under wraps and whose idea is it? Well, I, I give give credit to the Montreal media for for they were they were close. They over the last year, there have been three or four things that have come out up there, um, even subject to my incredibly sophisticated methods of putting it into Google Translate and hitting the button and seeing what it says from the French-speaking papers. And, yeah. Um, but uh, they, have, they have reported a number of times that there was something going on where the Rays would play 20 games, but it would be like next season. Or it would okay. be yeah, right. Year. I remember seeing that. So they were – so that I, – I, I, don't, I don't even want to begin to think if this was a sophisticated enough plot 
that that allowed the Rays culpable deniability, and they could say, oh, no, it's not true, because they denied it every time I asked about okay. it. They were pretty open in denying it. Now, did they purposely leak wrong information so they could deny it, or did the Montreal media you know, get, fed, get, get it wrong or get fed bad info? But So the idea's been floated, and, and I have to admit, unfortunately for me, you know, credibility-wise, shot down pretty quickly. Like, oh, here they go again, making this stuff up, and here we go, voila. And, you know, Rob Manford announces it on Thursday. I, I mean, here's, in, in all seriousness, I was surprised at two things. I was surprised that it came to this this quickly. We were under the impression, you know, they're, they're locked in here through 2027. Yes, if right. they want to hold it illegally. So everything we'd heard, even from the Rays and the owners and everything was, you know, hey, by 2021, 2022, they got to know what's happening. So we were under the impression there was about a two-year window mm-hmm. figuring that there'd be one more good push here or something to get a stadium here before it would come to this. So that was surprising. The other surprise was that the specificity of this is in the past when baseball's done this, it would be they would have come out with a, a statement like on a Friday at 530. You know, the MLB has given the race permission to talk to other cities, you know, about their future home in 2028, period, boom. But what? this was a specific plan, and, and here's another question, and too bad we can't get our old good friend Claude, who, who could have shed some light on this, but why would Montreal want to do this? Don't they want their own team back full-time? Aren't they supposedly number one for an expansion team or something? Why would they sign a 25-year lease and build a new stadium and only get 40 games out of it? Uh, yes, and what what is in it? for Tampa to say yes are, are, are the Rays going to fully fund this stadium then or are they going to ask are they gonna, I mean are they going to I mean obviously every time they throw a plan out they're going to throw in a hundred million and let somebody else spend the rest of it or 80 million or whatever it is I mean there's nothing in this unless it's a 25-year guarantee to Tampa in a in a privately financed stadium I mean and, and that's not happening right Unless it's Roycey Field, it ain't happening. <laughs> now they uh, here, here's how they're gonna they're having a big press conference uh, Tuesday, as we talk here yes. Tuesday, and then uh, they're gonna basically this this is the hardest part really. If you want to boil this down, this is how they have to pitch this. Tampa Bay, the only way we're gonna be able to save baseball that you can keep baseball in Tampa Bay is to take half of it away. That's how they're gonna say okay. the only way to keep the team. Otherwise. They're going to have to play it out and move. There's no solution. You know, and, this, and, and, I, and I will say this seriously, giving them some credit here. You know, this is the same team that, you know, they started shifting when people weren't shifting. And they started signing yes. young players to long-term contracts when young teams weren't doing that. And they started using an opener when teams thought it was the stupidest thing ever and it was going to ruin baseball. And, you know, stop taking batting practice. And all these things that are now common throughout the game. So... Obviously, this is at a different level. I mean, they just went cashless at the Trop, and we all thought that was the biggest catastrophe ever. And now I just read the other day that all future Super Bowls are probably going to be cashless. So <laughs> they, they are smart about some of this stuff. They are ahead of the game on some of this. Maybe this is a solution. Maybe it'll be the you know, Miami slash uh, Las Vegas Marlins at some point yeah. or you know, whatever. But I, I do think that you know, they're, they're, they're serious, A. They, are, they do believe that this could work, B. They're going to claim, you know, with, with their you know, fingers crossed over their heart and pledging everything they can that, you know, this is true. It's not a trick to try to get a stadium built here. It's what they think is the best solution. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, the reaction down here has obviously been incredibly negative for the most part. There's a few politicians that they obviously talk to and 
you know, got to got to understand why that are trying to say no, this is a good thing. But the average fan reaction is, you know, the heck with them, we're not doing this. But if the choice is going to eventually be presentative, you can have baseball for you know thirty five games a year and two three months, or you can have not have baseball at all. I mean, that's how they're going to try and sell it. Uh, Mark Topkins with us at Tampa Bay Times. Mark. Uh... How about the guy over there uh, with the lightning who's building his own city? Uh, first of all, how have that uh, rabid lightning fan base reacted to one of the greatest chokes in the history of uh, of, uh, of Stanley Cup playoff hockey? How, how's that gone over? You know, I, I think you could trace their incredible collapse to the day you wrote about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I was up there. I wrote like four stories on this epic franchise yeah you were down here on the greatest the greatest move in, in journalism history getting to spend the winter in <laughs> see it works that works by the way maybe yeah. i should be the guy to tell hey that yeah. works be two different you cities should, you should be the consultant for the raid <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the lightning i mean the, the crazy thing about the lightning season is i mean i hate to say this but like they were done so long ago. It was like two months ago, the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was like, it was, they were done, and the St. Louis Blues, like, it was like 39, 40, 50 days later yeah. that they finally won it. Yeah. I mean, we, our paper, our paper is doing a book on the lightning season. I think it's a little bit shorter than they planned. I mean, this is not the way it was supposed to go. Okay. And so, I got, so that's I, been a problem. Yeah. And, but I mean, is this guy's the guy who's rebuilding downtown Tampa? Can't they get some of his money to help build a ballpark, become a partner or something? Yeah. Jeff Vinnick, who he, we actually do kind of derisively call it Vinnickville, but he is rebuilding downtown Tampa. He's partnered with this guy that I think you hang out with a little bit, Bill Gates. You heard of him? Oh, yeah. Him and he and I are buddies. Yeah. Yeah, He's one of the partners with Jeff Vinnick or one of his companies is. So it's another interesting it's another interesting lever to this because to this point there's been no nothing that we can tell no connection at all Vinick just comes out when he gets pressed on this with a very bland like you know we're for everything that makes the Tampa area great yeah, and that yeah, yeah. pro sports blah 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 so he's shown no interest he used to be a minority partner a small small share in the Red Sox he sold that within yeah. the last year so we were like is there tea leaves to read in that he also, this is interesting, there's a plot of land that at one point in downtown Tampa that the Rays were eyeing, thought maybe it would work for a stadium, it might be too small, maybe it would work, right near the hockey arena. They were told it wasn't available, there's an old flour mill plant there. Yeah, I've walked around that area, there's but, a lot of but, crappy areas. Right. But, yeah. in the, but the interesting part is in the last year or so, maybe 18 months, it suddenly became available and Jeff Vinnick bought it. So now he owns that plot of land, there's nothing on it still. If it was a little too small for the big dome stadium, maybe it works for the smaller open air stadium. So, I don't know. Does he get back in play? Do they offer to build it in St. Pete? Do they offer to put it on the Al Lang Stadium site, which we all know and love from all the glorious days of spring training back in the day? Oh, I Memphis love that ballpark. Cardinals, and one of the greatest views in all of baseball. They own that. They own the soccer team that plays there. They own the rights to that stadium. When they bought the soccer team, we all thought, huh, could this have something to do with baseball? No, 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 they said. Well, now maybe again it does. Maybe that stadium, again, because it's a smaller plot, it's open air. They renovate that, and maybe that's with the pitch, and that's how they get out of the lease with St. Pete by saying, hey, look, we're not really leaving. We're going to just move over to the waterfront. And does that solve the traffic flow? Does that solve people not wanting to come to you know St. Pete? People act like 
frickin' St. Pete, I'll put it in parlance for your listeners who can then yell at me. They act like it's going to Duluth or something. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's not that hard to get from Tampa to St. Pete. People act like driving you know, an, an hour commute to go to a sporting event is the worst thing in the world. Do you think people in New York and Chicago and Boston and L.A.? In L.A., if you get to game in an hour, it's like you camped out overnight. That's like a victory if you get to Dodger Stadium in less than an hour from anywhere in Southern California. One of the greatest Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes ever when Larry David got the hooker to ride with him to the game so he could go in the HOV lane. Right. Right. It was one of the greatest episodes ever. Hey, Topper, one last thing. Uh, the Bride and I spent uh, four days in Montreal on a vacation a month ago. The comp troller at the Tampa Bay uh, Tribune is not going to be happy if you're up there uh, spending three months in a, in a condo. I can guarantee you that's the most expensive town I've ever been in. That's interesting. I'm trying to uh, – I'm actually uh, – hopefully the bosses aren't listening. Well, no one's listening to the show, but hopefully my bosses aren't. But I'm trying to scam a trip to raise – Play uh, up in Toronto at the end of the Oh July. yeah, you gotta get do so I'm this. Thinking, like, don't don't I have to go like a couple of days early? And go <laughs> yeah, to Montreal right, and look right. around and there's some place there. I think you've told me about mm. Shea something and. Oh, Shea Paris, yes. <laughs> My last conversation with the late, great Jerry Fraley uh, was uh, about uh, a week before he died and. Uh, I told him I was in Montreal, and we had a little Chapery conversation. I said it's a little hard to get to the Chapery when your wife's with you, but that's okay. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, hey, thanks for the update, Topper. We'll run into you, sir. All right. Sounds good. Sounds all right. Uh, the great Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times, and this is the damnedest thing I ever heard of, Manny. Trying to have them split, uh, well, split between two cities. November twelfth, and you're, you're not, I mean, October twelfth, and you're going to be playing in Montreal instead of Tampa. It's, yeah. uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's right. it's weird. I don't know how they're going to pull it off. <laughs> I don't either. All right, hey, Racy on baseball, Manny Hill, and I. We'll be back next week with the TK doubleheader, Kirkjian and Kelly.